welcome to another episode of the Interjections Podcast, where we talk about movies from the undiscovered decade. This is films from the 90s. Oh God, we're not doing well with it. No, Jimmy's phasing. Jimmy, you gotta move. Out of existence. Jimmy's phasing. Like, I can't even flip you off. Look. We can't hey, keep him online, Captain. I can't keep on the gallery. Like, I'm like, I'm flipping out. Like, I'm sorry. Do you think it's because of the no, 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 no. It's just like it's just the the, the like the podcast knows that like I'm not really a Trekkie. So it's like, get him out. Get shoe, be gone. You Star Wars loser. I'm like, look, like all, all I am is a like a, a, head, I'm a, a podcast. I'm not a pixelated. Oh. So Jimmy's head. having teleportation issues today, but I was already here. Tristan was the one that teleported in. Look, I, 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 I just you think we should change our video? I just don't exist anymore. Don't worry, it's okay. I'll just be a hand. He'll be disembodied. I'm the hand of God. <laughs> oh my God, Jimmy, you're gone. <laughs> Of course, we're not even talking about that Star Trek movie where it's like, like right? There's one where there's, hand, where there's a hand. Oh, yes. The, the very one. first Star Trek. Is oh, yeah. Yeah. We're not even talking about that one. So, like, this, this is a pointless reference. And, like, funny thing, not a Trekkie, and I know that. It might be Final Frontier. Right. Excuse Final me. Excuse, it's Trekker. All right. Well, Trekkie okay. is offensive. Yeah. How about you go Trek Trump, off? Okay. Yeah. Go Trek That's yourself. And we're already into this. Okay. Right. Sorry, so Tristan, what's, what are we talking about? So we're finally towards the end of our uh, second year of the Undiscovered Decade. And we're, as you can tell, talking about one of the most beloved franchises. And uh, well, we weren't sure about this movie because it was the sixth. And typically when you're this deep into a franchise, it's not gonna be as uh, good as the first few. But uh, when when it first started, they were, uh, they, they really hit it out of the park with the trilogy. It wasn't exactly the first one that everyone loved, but the second, third, and fourth really did well. And so by the fifth and the sixth, it was kind of falling apart and they weren't sure if they even wanted to keep the original cast, but that's why I think we have a hidden gem in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So, yeah, um, it's commonly held belief in retrospect that people think that the even-numbered Star Trek sequels were the better ones so two four and six are beloved yeah three and five are kind of derided i actually like the director's cut of the first one quite a bit even though it's kind of very kubrickian trying to be like <clears throat> 2001 mm-hmm. it's more of a laser light show than anything else mm. but i kind of like how ethereal it is it's it's very much different from the show it's more um it's more uh, celestial and spiritual than. Oh, I think I think I might dig yeah. that. That's I actually like the third one quite a bit. has uh, has a really good villain in uh, Christopher Lloyd, and actually sets up events that it is come back for this movie directly related to this film uh, because they involve Klingons and uh, his son David series. Yes. So, so basically, they start off with this first film, and the the series all, all the actors were just on the comic con circuit which wasn't even really established star trek is oh, I think, oh i think it was uh, back then that was it was just star trek conventions <laughs> it, it was conventions yeah or even sci-fi conventions star trek established a convention because there were there were some people writing letters to gene roddenberry saying they wanted to have a way to represent their love for the franchise since it was completely dead they had um 
the animated series had pretty much killed it off and all the actors weren't doing anything. So they wanted people to make appearances. So they, and that way they could get money. They weren't getting royalties or anything. They weren't replaying the show or anything. So then this motion picture comes out in 1979 because the cons were doing so well. They knew that these people were popular. So they're like, why don't we try a movie? Because they had almost done a movie after the show and it was never going to work. Right. And so getting to see their beloved characters again really sold it. And then they come out with Wrath of Khan, which is to a lot of people the, the favorite because it has the infamous villain played by Ricardo Montalban. <clears throat> and it sets up a lot of uh, tropes that would happen throughout the movies. It felt like another level, like they were never going to go back to TV. And at around the same time, they reboot the show by having the next generation. So simultaneously, they're having the old crew go off on these singular missions, and then the show's continuing on TV. Uh, so then they have this trilogy, like you said, with Christopher Lloyd. Um, it pretty much has a through line where <clears throat> they're trying to rescue Spock in the third one. That's hence the search for Spock. And yeah. then they have to get home, the voyage home. So it all has this through line, and that's kind of written by Nicholas Meyer, who ends up directing the sixth and writing with, uh, with a couple other people. Um, after, after that trilogy, I don't know what the final frontier is. It's the only Star Trek film I've never seen, but it's um, basically a vanity project for William Shatner because after having directed the uh, the fourth one, and people love the fourth one, mm -hmm. a lot more lighthearted and frothy than the other it's one. My favorite. <clears throat> um, did the best at the box office. Honestly, it's it's <clears throat> most accessible to non Star Trek fans. Because it's them going back to the past. It's a lot of fish out of water humor. It takes place in 86, which is the year it comes out. Yeah, so I feel like Shatner kind of got a little jealous of the heat that he was getting off of that. So he was like, well, I want to direct a Star Trek movie. Yeah, Nimoy had did. Voyage Home. So yeah. I, think, I think Shatner thought he could do it. Shatner thought he could do it. It ended up being the lowest grossing of the original crew. All of them. I think, oh, true. Maybe Nemesis is the, the Nemesis lowest. Nemesis is lower. But, but Final Frontier is second. Right. And uh, critically, it didn't do well. Um, it's not a horrible movie. There are parts that actually are pretty good in the movie, but people kind of overlook that for some of the... Uh, there's a lot of silly, fatuous humor that stops the movie dead. There's a whole camping trip at the beginning with Bones, uh, Spock, <clears throat> and uh, Kirk that just goes on. It's kind of listless. He doesn't have like an assured hand at directing actors, weirdly enough. Yeah. And the story's kind of plods along, but like I said, it's not the worst Star Trek movie, but it definitely kind of pumped the brakes on it. So they're just like, if we do another one, uh, we got to make this like the farewell, like the send off. Cause like you said, Gene Roddenberry had just passed away and this one's dedicated to him. They'd also at first thought, should we go back to their origins and have like a Starfleet Academy movie? And they all balked at that. They're like, we're still good. They're in their sixties. They could still do something. Sure. Thought about well, we're three months away from retirement. So why don't we all have like one, one great send-off? And if they want to do future movies, maybe they'll have the next generation crew or something. Matter of fact. Which is what they do. Yeah, right. and, and as a matter of fact, as an Easter egg for people who like the next generation, um, Michael Dorn plays an ancestor of Worf, who's their attorney in this. So it kind of bridges the gap mm -hmm. between the two uh, generations. Yeah, there's some good cameos in here um it's funny i i brought up that we were watching this one to my dad and he's like what is that the camping trip one <laughs> yeah, yeah see it's, no no it's, it's no, weird because going into this the only star trek movies i'd seen 
were two of the J.J. Abrams ones. I had not seen any of the original ones. I had never watched any of the original series. I used to watch Next Generation when I was a lad. You know, that was our, every Saturday night, our tradition was we'd watch Star Trek and eat Chinese food. And that was like, so I always associate Star Trek with Chinese food now for, uh, for that reason. That's fine. That's weird. But yeah, that's true. The, um, you got Pavloved, so. Yeah. Right, exactly. But, <laughs> yeah. So watching, the, like, it's weird because I had, Star Trek had always really been in my periphery, more like like I saw Galaxy Quest, and that was like my oh, totally. understanding of the oh, Galaxy Quest is a perfect film, yeah. but and we'll get to that point eight years from now. But yeah, ninety nine. Um, so you know, it it was just I don't know what I was expecting, but I'm watching and I'm like, I'm seeing Shatner and Spock actually talking to each other as friends and like. This is actually really fucking good. Oh yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, I didn't yeah. think it was gonna. I but you know, to your point, I had heard it being more campy in the earlier ones, and in in a lot of the the motion pictures were just sort of like all over the place. Yeah. But now I actually want to go back and watch the rest of them. There's a camp sensibility to the original series just because the budget and there's you know yeah. the sci-fi effects were so new then that they looked really impressive in 67 but it's yeah, not, but not today not really <laughs> it's kind of got like a post i mean space kind of feel. i mean the the special effects kind of got blew out of the water when like star wars came out yeah. as a movie or 2001 yeah, really. or 2000, yeah which yeah. influenced the first movie like i said because there's yeah. a lot of that where they're going to uh contact viger mm-hmm. a, a lot of special effects on display there's a lot of glory shots of um the enterprise coming into the dock so mm-hmm. they, they linger on the effects a little bit too much so it becomes a little more style over substance in the first movie yeah which is why in the second movie they kind of get a foothold on it and they're like okay it's going to be a rollicking action adventure set in space and so instead of more of a space opera it is also interesting nicholas meyer uh takes a specific episode the space seed which is where ricardo <clears throat> Montalban had appeared he was the guy from fantasy island after doing star trek and so they didn't really know uh that this would work but they thought well he was left on this planet what if everything's devastated and he's bitter and wants revenge and so that made it very interesting he made it a random character become the most important villain in the entire series and he's fantastic and so he kind of does a similar thing where in the third one something (laughs) happens with kirk's son and he dies which you can tell from this film uh and so this is sort of Kirk's, it's the um, flip where he wants revenge, but he wants to take the higher road and not actually seek revenge. The The literal person who kills his son has died. So he doesn't have a, an embodiment to revenge on. So this is what sets up the Klingon's belief that he is racist towards them i mean it's kind of kind of an allegory for the whole war really oh right yeah because like you know what's great you you live through the cold war and like you had a son that joined up in the military and the commies got him like Mm -hmm. you're gonna hold a grudge against them then oh no soviet union's falling apart it's like it's like i don't want to make peace with them this is a thing um, i gave you a lot of context just now for the first five films but jimmy went in just like jeff not knowing anything about any of the movies so Mm -hmm. seeing that his son had died not anything jimmy knew about yeah. didn't even know kirk you don't really need to see it right that was it works in context like a yeah. lot of things were lost yeah, well, on people that hadn't seen it, but it didn't and he was in a tv series so like right. him having a son you 
probably makes legit sense. makes sense he would have had yeah. a son or something what, what did you think about it um not knowing anything beforehand i mean i know like it's not like i didn't know anything well, like, from the films yeah from the films but like you know i like from just like uh pop culture and like just general uh uh nerdology okay. like I, I like i know things it's just yeah, like, I, like I, just, I just like never had the interest to like pursue star trek like my jam was like um I actually wasn't fully on board Star Wars as a kid. Like I, that that had to grow on me. I had to like finish all well, three films. This by is the time why I was like, oh yeah, Star Wars. Uh, but like my 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 thing uh, growing up, like uh, for sci-fi franchises, uh, I mean for TV shows, it was Farscape, um, which came a little later. But yeah, which still. came a little later. Uh, but like uh, for like when I was like a kid, kid in, in this era. Um, probably like the best sci-fi content that i saw was on like more like uh like other reruns of uh television so like i was watching lost in space like that was what i was watching true lost in space and um what what what, what are the 60s sci-fi would i dream of genies of fantasy yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also fantasy comedy yeah but it's also like, there's more a comedy fantasy because it's more comedy than fantasy yeah uh I grew up with Star Trek myself, yeah. so I knew this before right. Star Wars, but it's actually funny you bring up, uh, we're, we're, it's it's hard not to talk about Star Trek compared to Star Wars, but it's funny that the production designer, Neil Rodas Jamero, worked on Return of the Jedi right before this. So if you look at the makeup for the Klingons or the sets, they kind of look like Jabba's palace when they're in the, the, yeah, the, dungeon, I can see that, the, yeah. the trial room, you know, it's it's not obvious, but you can say, okay, I can see the guys work in both films. So I actually kind of like that. It makes both worlds appeal to me more. So it's funny that uh, that comparison goes to. <clears throat> it's weird. People hate that episode three is kind of set during the uh, Galactic Council, mm. in, uh, Star Wars. But that's why I think Star Trek works so well. Is it's more about ethics of space travel. Yeah, it would be like to. Uh, kind of like the diplomacy between galaxies because that whole tribunal scene when they're talking about how after the uh, the klingon moon praxis blows up like they want to they want a peace treaty and kurt's contention is yeah if that moon hadn't blown up would they really want a peace treaty is this just a guise for them to have us lay down arms so they can attack us while we're vulnerable and it yeah, gets into it, it, it it in the way because like you know, they think they're yeah. losing. So if they're yeah, like, if there's a very intelligent discourse that could be a metaphor for how we deal with other nations now. Mm-hmm. Like it's about foreign affairs now. So yeah. I mean, all and environmental collapse. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, at the time, at the at the time when this movie came out, the uh, the real world parallels in history would have been like, uh, um, based like, I mean, really, like you could say Japan during like before the Second World War kicked off for us. Because, like, uh, we cut off their oil supplies because, like, they were doing shady stuff in, like, uh, uh, China. But, like, at some point, Japan realized, oh, hey, uh, our oil reserves, they're really low. They're only going to last us for maybe another year. But, like, it's going to be, like, six or eight months. So, they're like, we got to attack the Americans. So, like, that's probably Kirk's Kirk's point of view is a reflection also, like, you know, Cold War, uh, you know, mentality. But also, like, from, like, a historical like like he's a military man like he's in the uh basically the space navy yeah um 
So he's going to think like, yeah, no, they're, they're running out of resources. Their, their next best bet to, in order to keep their empire is to like, have a, like, like just gamble, gamble it all, like bet it all what they have left and just launch it. And if they take us out, then whatever. Yeah. It also like, goes to the point, like, what if you decommission the Navy? Are we pointless? If we're sitting on our laurels and they come attack us, what's going to happen? So his yeah. mind is like, you can't just put us out. We're going to um, just lose our grip on everything. Right. And so we need to be um, vigilant still, and then, at least. Again, ironic, just ironically, that uh, again plays back in the history because like, af- like, after the first world war everybody like demilitarized like heavily and the next thing you know oh we're not prepared second world war right second world war ends uh all the countries like demilitarized to an extent and then mm-hmm. like the korean war happens and like everybody thought like oh yeah no we're this like uh like we, we live in an age where atomic warfare is a deterrent than like right before the korean war like soviet russia was like oh by the way we have nukes and they're like ah fuck we don't have the upper hand so like why our like, military budgets are the biggest yeah so like, part of our budgets yeah. now since, since since like the korean yeah since the korean war and the mccarthy era like that was that was it like, it's just like oh but that's a whole other thing in the but that's history. that's what's yeah. building into their mentality it's, yeah it's not a thing the, the, like this, this, this yeah this, this, move, this movie is very like it, it's very meta like if you if yeah. like you look like today you watch it you'll be like oh yeah no very political la 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 like it doesn't need to take place like, in the 22nd century. It's like just if you're, cycling yeah, every if, century. If you're like a 20, 30 something year old person that grew up with Star Trek and like a, you you were the, basically the kid or the grandkid of the guys that were in the Second World War, First World War, or like Vietnam recently or Korea, like, and like all this other like stuff. Like, so like, you know, this stuff, like the people yeah. in your family to like, like probably talked at length or brought it up. So like, yeah, the I mean, metadata. My grandfather's maybe four years, five years older than uh, Shatner. So, and he was in the Navy. Yeah. So, so during World War II. So that's the age of these people. They're aging out of any possible military outpost or, or commissioner. Yeah, because like a lot of them are like, so, we're, like we're going to retire. So what are we going to be out? Like yeah. we're going to do. So I think like this, peace? this is why I think it's underrated because it's uh, showcasing what uh, these oh, people probably felt by, like in 1991. By the way, um, what like was did any of the writers like before they worked on this film did any of them like work on the one superman film where they did kind of similar thing but kind of not not as well with like nuclear but, weapons oh like, superman four like, quest for yes yeah. no. someone like, worked on three that i was looking at because like our, i, I felt a little group. like a little like like maybe like because superman didn't do so well that like maybe a writer was like going to this project well, like maybe i could do it what? better in this sense Superman 4 was basically a story idea that Christopher Reeve came up with in order to uh, come back to the role. Mm. So they just wanted to satiate him so he would come back because it was a canon movie. Canon bought the rights to the uh, Superman franchise. Mm. Relatively cheap. That's why some of these special effects are reused. Canon like the camera company? Or no? No, no, no. (laughs) Canon like uh, Golden Uh, Globus. They did like all those Chuck Norris movies in the uh, just C A N N. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. were they were like a really low budget. Uh, it did schlock. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. It was like the new uh, who's that guy that made Jack Nicholson and all those other people. It's like Roger Corman. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a Corman in the eighties. Um, but what were you? St- I think this is aside from two. <laughs> I think this is Shatner's most emotionally naked and raw performance as uh, Kirk in this. In fact, the uh, my favorite scene is after they have that tribunal and he's talking to uh, Spock 
about how he shouldn't trust them, he shouldn't believe them, and he should just let them die. You're just like, okay, I can see why this this extends beyond politics. He has an emotional stake in this. Again, this isn't a franchise where the characters are stagnant. They've all evolved since those other movies. So then when he when Spock is in his quarters talking to uh, Kim Cattrall and she's talking about Vulcan logic and he says, logic isn't everything. We also have to take other factors into account. Whereas in the other movies, he would just be dictated on rationale and logic and pragmatism. Now he's learned that sometimes uh, human emotion extends beyond that. So I like how the characters have evolved. He's taking in about 70 missions that we've seen in canon that he right. has evolved from yeah so wait so this is but, the movie where he starts like developing that like or well, no like, i think or, you see, think you, you see glimmers of it throughout the series because oh, yeah, okay. like like uh no, knowing spock's character and like knowing eventually he does become a little more human so to speak um yeah by the time of the jj like, like the, in this movie there were moments where like he would react and it's like that's very human reaction like you that, that was definitely like irritation and anger yeah, that you is, just showed so like they like, knocked the pistol they, out of her hand yeah honestly so, they make it a little more hyperbolic in those jj abrams movies right yeah. it's more it's gradual in these i mean we, we regardless we have to agree that one of the best scenes in the entire franchise is kirk fighting himself <laughs> oh my god right and he's fighting david bowie's wife is in this as a shape-shifting alien yeah honestly you know it's funny that alien uh penal colony where they mine for dilithium Reminded me of uh, a lot of the prison in the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I was thinking that because he bumps into a giant guy. I wonder if that's referencing this film. Probably. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, that's, I think, even more where uh, Jamero's aesthetic comes through, like the, the Java's Palace underground. I love how concurrently while they're in jail trying to figure out a way how to get out, um, you have the investigation on uh, the starship where they're trying to piece together who sabotaged the ambassador, who killed him, how they got rid of the gravity, anti-gravity boots, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I like that whole investigative, like almost like a Spock is the poor row of the, yeah. uh, it was, <laughs> of the it was Sherlock. He literally yeah. quoted Sherlock yeah. as an ancestor. And throughout the movie, Christopher Plummer is constantly quoting shakespeare at one point bones is just like i wish he would shut the hell up i turned to jimmy and i'm like they're they're squaring off christopher Plummer and william shatner i'm like they're they're canadian shakespeare trained actors yeah they're, they're like the same but you, you amazing I, I love to think that christopher Plummer is just like you're saying that i get to do shakespeare but dressed as a klingon sure with an <laughs> eye like literal shakespeare that's all because yeah. that's all that's all, all his quotes said. That's he all it does like is Shakespeare quotes. And they all fit. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, they One of my favorite things when the investigation uh, is when Spock keeps being like, remember, did you find out that the communications aren't working, Uhura? Oh, did you notice that you need more? How much time do you need, Scotty, to fix that problem? Scotty's yeah. like, I could do it in an hour. Oh, oh, <laughs> I <think> at least today. <laughs> yeah, they're all just trying to buy time. Yeah. He's doing that like uh, I'm managing, but like I'm not it's managing. The like, union busting, or not union right. busting, union speak. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, I also want to point out uh, the fact that he's quoting shit Sherlock. Um, Nicholas Meyer made his name on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Time had- after time. 
I had never known any of this. I knew him as the guy that had done time after time and, and these movies for Star Trek. But his first thing was he wrote a book called The 7% Solution that was a new Sherlock Holmes mystery. It they made a movie out of it, yeah. Instead of him dying on the waterfall with Moriarty, it kind of supersedes that. So he faked his death. Yeah. And it's about like his cocaine habit and Watson bringing him back from the edge and everything. It sounds really interesting. And apparently, like you said, they made a movie. So now I, I got to see that. Right. He got it, an Oscar nomination for it. It's funny. Uh, Nicholas Meyer just directed a movie that we talked about earlier in the year called Company Business, which was like, must have been a one for them type of deal because it wasn't very good. But this is, he definitely put his heart into this one. Yeah. Clearly in the same yeah. vein. He likes Great set right. pieces, by the way. Mm-hmm. I love the set piece where they do kill the Chancellor, played by David Warner, who's been in other Star Trek movies. And time after time. Right. Um, the uh, the fact that the Klingons have this uh, purple blood that kind of levitates in the uh, in the ether is it's such a cool looking set piece. It's dazzling in a way. Mm-hmm. The, the well, effects in this are great. Me, but yeah, I mean it's the era. It looks like Nickelodeon gag. The graphics look like but, that. Yeah, that's okay. But the bleeding Pepto Bismol. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the fact that we get to see these characters, like for me myself, since I'm a big Star Trek fan, having to see them like being promoted, see where they go with their lives. Bones really hasn't done much with his life in this movie, but um, to get to see Zulu, he, like own, he has his own ship now, USS Excelsior, because he's been talking about that for a few other movies. He's been talked about having his own ship on his own well, and, uh, over on that you know right it could also be a mere fact that him and shatner weren't getting along that so, so when the fifth one came around he was written to have an, a ship of his own and shatner cut that out in the script level right and so they had this massive feud this whole time i, yeah. I don't know if it stems exactly from that but they never liked each other. Uh, it began on the show. Yeah, Shatner has an ego, but you know, actors have egos in general, but their egos clashed constantly. Yeah, but like Shatner, yeah. Shatner, Shatner's privileged. Yeah. But like, so, especially in that time, I saw like, with, you know, I saw with so, George. Somebody somebody got locked up for being different as a child. Yeah. So yes, you know, yeah, George why, like, Shatner's it. cool and all, but like if yeah. you're gonna be a pretentious douchebag, like yeah, you yeah. Know, uh, kind of maybe tone it down when somebody's like, you have know, the shitty life to back it up. Yeah, Shander was probably very ignorant. yeah, yeah, like, like, like you know, cut, cut, cutting, cutting somebody's like, like potential parts to get a bigger. I mean, like, or to get him out of your yeah, hair, or to get like you know, it doesn't help that he's on the other ship. But he's pretty much I, been enabled throughout show business because he's had three huge shows throughout three different decades because he's had Star Trek, T.J. Hooker, and then he did Boston Legal. Mm-hmm. and he also has the best twilight zone episode right so he's kind of enabled by show business to think that he's more gifted than he actually is maybe right. also probably like like shakespearean training probably uh mm-hmm. contributes a little bit just a little bit yeah uh sulu was my favorite when i watched the original series as a kid though so i i was honestly a little dis- disappointed he's not with the other crew i wish he'd right. come by and talked with them at all he's just kind of like on his own with christian slater trying to figure it out yeah it's very christmas Slater. um well funny okay. thing like sulu like like as a kid there wasn't like it wasn't every time that like you know how like you know there's like th- those like uh shows where there's a whole team of people like you got one of each person for each race on the team like uh most of the time, I didn't like it. Didn't register. I was like, oh yeah, 
they're all different races kumbaya yada 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 like i re- relate to that guy because he's asian it's like no i don't like he he's like he looks a little nerdier than me or something like, this is something. See, this is why like, those movies Sulu in star trek whenever i was seeing him like he's like yeah i was like okay yeah no he's, he seems a little more relatable this is why those movies and tv shows i think did diversity and representation a little bit better because they didn't underline it mm-hmm. it was just a matter of fact well, I think this would help me uh, appreciate all races because, like I said, Sulu was my favorite, so I didn't think right. of it until later. You don't think of him as Asian, you know, yeah. the Asian navigator. You don't think of him as that. Yeah. yeah, and and so just having it matter-of-factly, Uhura is just the important communicator. It right. isn't a big deal. This is the idyllic future Roddenberry wanted. Right. And so I think people take a hard line on certain things. But... Going back to the uh, the consequences and the repercussions of what happened in the other movies, I like that. And uh, Jeff will appreciate this since he's seen the J.J. Abrams, the Kobayashi Maru, where um, uh, Kirk just completely disobeys all of Starfleet's uh, regulations. It come, it's get, it gets brought up in the trial that, you know, you've never really adhe- adhered to uh, Star Trek reg- Starfleet regulations, have you? And maybe this could be the reason why uh his downfall is finally coming like his comeuppance has finally happened because he's constantly throughout all the movies going against the grain so you're just like this is gonna get this is gonna come to fruition at some point and it does in this movie yep so like i said even though it's a capstone the characters have continued to uh grown and expanded throughout all six of the movies which is probably one of the reasons why the fifth one's not so great because they don't really do much they i don't have, have much growth i have to say though just on a personal note Corey, i've never seen you speak so highly of a film before oh really <laughs> so this is this is kind of weird me out a little bit <laughs> i'm sorry a dick tracy episode i was fully yeah in. he was he I, i'd say dick tracy is your favorite of the ones we've covered uh, yeah. Usually, usually we're trying to find hidden gems. Yeah, but we were talking about character development over several movies with Dick Tracy. Like this is well, that movie <laughs> there's, wasn't there's really a backstory here. This is the the second sequel we've done, but really, like when you get to a sixth movie, it's tough to see if they're gonna have any character development. Right. Anymore. Most of the time, it's horror films. Yeah, like six. Usually, franchise appear out honestly around the fourth movie. Yeah, because everything. Three is an intellectually satisfying number. Everybody likes threes, trilogies, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when you extend beyond that, three acts. Yeah, it's yeah everything. The film, but then you have nine overall, essentially. Yeah. Right. So when you extend beyond that, it seems extraneous. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I guess you consider this a second trilogy in a way. Right. It's hard to say because you wouldn't put one through three as a trilogy. Two through four is the trilogy. Right. If say anything. This would it's be just like of that trilogy. Well, like Tristan, you'll you'll get this. Like in uh, Friday the Thirteenth, you got the Tommy Jarvis trilogy. Right. That's what two through three or two. That's uh six. That's four, five, and six. That's right. Okay. And Nightmare on Elm Street kind of has the Dream Masters trilogy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So even within franchises, there are trilogies. Mm-hmm. Really enough. Yeah, and that's why J.J. Abrams only got three. They keep wanting to do a fourth because they could continue technically. Right. But how and and with a series like this you could do episodic things like having Khan pop up but you, you almost think like are we starting a new trilogy no just do something good and you'll be fine like like undiscovered country 
this is why I always preferred Star Trek over Star Wars. I know blasphemy, but uh, well, I, I skate. I, I don't get me wrong. I like lightsaber duels and everything, but I like a little more, uh, a little more um, substance for thought. Sometimes yeah. when I watch sci-fi, and I feel like these movies and these TV shows definitely got into more of the uh, contemporary topics and subjects. Yeah, and also like Star, they- Star Wars is a bubble. It's a vacuum. Right. Well, Star, Star, Star Wars is like too too much. Uh, you're 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 cramming in a lot of um, a lot of like uh, like at, like elements of epics of stories long yeah, past. Their mythology. Where, whereas like uh, Star Wars or Star Trek is more like a, it's a metaphor. A, it's a metaphor right. for what's going on today, but also not ideal for like tomorrow can be better. Like Star uh, Wars is a little more grounded, especially yeah. when you consider like you know uh, the more action scenes, like uh, especially when it's like uh, spaceship against spaceship, uh, like, it's Star, like Star, the Star well, Trek. The original Star Wars trilogy is like we're gonna like launch our ships in a uh, hyperspace and just like throw our fighters at each other. Yeah, you're alongside uh, an X-wing fighter. Yeah. See, this yeah. is why uh, Star. Wars fans would be bored to death if the Star Trek writers got into the Star Wars universe because somebody would be having a lightsaber around and they'd be like, yeah, but what are the moral implications of that? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. This is something I just realized having watched Star Trek my whole life. The the thing about it is when they're like in this film, when their shields are going to be down, they might die. You're imagining everyone on every other level of the ship. You're not seeing the ships come at each other. They don't send fighters at each other to do their dirty work. It's you're imagining people dying on another level that's gotten hit. Yeah, you're, you're imagining, imagining Scotty you're, rushing around the the engine room trying to fix you're, it. You're either imagining uh like a movie like that's like before this time, like a movie that's like it's basically a, a a naval battle, a battleship movie, or you're seeing a uh, a submarine movie like Das Boot. Like it's like you're oh, you're in deep yeah. space. You're in a void. You're you're not you're not over over space like over water. You're like you're 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 surrounded by the void. So like, it's basically, you're just, you're, you're in a submarine movie, essentially. Yeah. I think, I think the best writers will let you do your own imagination work yeah. so that you fill in the gaps, but you don't need to be told what's happening. The other fascinating thing between Star Trek and Star Wars that I never really thought about was um, Star Trek originates with, at least, you know, from the storytelling perspective, Whereas Star Star Wars is in a galaxy far, far away. It's this other race of people that we don't we never heard of until this moment. But Star Trek begins with humanity and begins with like Starfleet headquarters is on Earth. And it's about us reaching out to the rest of the universe. And so it I feel like that's why it hits home with a lot more people, because it's not just like these fictional people with magic Jedi powers well, a billion that goes, light years that goes away. Back to what I was saying that like, yeah, no, Star Trek is like more grounded. It's more related because yeah. like, it's coming from our, our, right. uh, our, our part, our, literally like our perspective for like what we want the future to be. Whereas like, again, Star Wars is a fairy tale. It's like, it's, it's, it's source materials is like, you know, uh, King Arthur and like, uh, the like Joseph Campbell mythologies. Yeah. yeah. Do you know where uh, these uh, Starfleet uh, bases? San Francisco, isn't it? It's like almost located exactly where uh, Skywalker Ranch is. 
Really? Or crazy. wherever Lucasfilm's main studios are. It's like in the um, shadow of the Golden Gate Bridge. That's fun. Well, it's so funny it's that like, I, ILM did the special effects for this. Mm -hmm. It's basically where ILM is. Yeah. So ILM becomes Starfleet, I guess. ILM just is Starfleet. I mean, also like another like between between the two franchises, it's interesting to uh, see how like you know, uh, like you know, one's more grounded than the other, uh, in like uh, like terms of perspective. The other one's like you know, again like you know, fantasy, but it's a sci-fi fantasy. Um, it's just such, like they they pretty much have very similar source materials, like in terms of, like what makes them sci-fi. Uh, both like you know the science that was available at the time and like the previous media like like you have 2001 space odyssey you have like flash gordon like you see that in both which like kind of like looks like you look at today like where does that happen and like a good example like for today is like the movie pacific rim that came out like years mm -hmm. ago um like people like uh um ask the director uh like so like you're clearly an evangelion fan and you sit there and go like even what and it was like your movie is like basically Evangelion. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, he's like, I never, I never watch it. I was like, but, 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 and the reason that happened was because his source material is the same as Evangelion's, like the giant robot anime of the seventies and eighties. Mm -hmm. And Evangelion came out in the nineties. Like by that time he was a fully grown adult, like probably just getting into the industry. So like, he probably didn't have time to like know what that anime Or look was. for other I, things. I there. love on the Pacific Rim note, though, I love that movie because it's you get exactly what you pay for. It's giant robots fighting giant monsters. I'm like, this is what yeah. I want. This is this is all I wanted. This yeah, like basically like 1970s and 80s giant robot like anime or TV shows. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, there's there's relationships and stuff, but no, it's just giant robots punching giant monsters. It was like the best. Chef's kiss. I was going to anyway. say, we didn't really talk about the uh, newcomers to the series. We mentioned all of them, but um, I really wanted to point out that I, I really like Kim Cattrall. I was going to say, yeah, um, she's, she's really great. good in the movie, and it's weird because I think it's, it's the third one that Kirstie Alley shows up. She's playing another Vulcan named Savick. Yeah, and she's so pretty much trying to interest other people. She's to pretty much universally criticizing Lambaster for that movie. Yeah, I like her in it. It's weird. You want to play a Vulcan, but you don't want to play it too stiff. Right. You don't want to if do a weird tightrope. You got to roll. But Kim Cattrall, I think, is great. It's one of her best movie roles. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize she popped up a bunch in the 80s, like Porky's. And I knew she was a mannequin. Big but, trouble. Yeah. I didn't know any of the other ones. So I saw the uh -huh. opening credits and I'm like, oh, Kim Cattrall and Kurtwood Smith? What is this? Oh, Kurtwood yeah, Smith right. looks hilarious. Yeah. Kurtwood Smith he looks like a Keebler elf. He thought yeah, it was another Klingon because it was just big hair and he kind of had ridges. That was the thing. Yeah, his, like his hair, like he just like he didn't look. They always used to make fun of the fact that like, oh, you have some, you have one ridge on your forehead, must be a Klingon. <laughs> I mean, like it was probably yeah. like one ridge, and then like also like the way that they had his like his hair set up, like whatever. Like he was, he was, yeah, no, he was bald at that point. So like they oh, probably yeah. had to like, I think he's always on like a a, 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 a mat and a, uh, like a. Bald, bald, bald it was cap like a, the way. a little bit, but like uh, like it looked like a bad mullet. Yeah, he had a receding hairline and a bad mullet. And like one I guess it looked like kind of like with the crease on his forehead and the way that the uh, bald cap was put on, like uh, it looked like, like Dustin Hoffman, uh, even though he's already but like whatever. He looked like a Klingon. I was like, they're like Mr. President, and like 
president of the Klingons? I thought, like, yeah, we like, got I thought they, first. I thought they were an empire. Do empires have presidents? It's weird. Yeah, the Klingons Klingons. I also knew because Spock's father, Sarek, was with him. So I'm like, I think this is just the council, but why would they put a Klingon on the council if they don't That's want That's the other to- thing. I wasn't sure if people would even pick up that that was Spock's father because they don't say it explicitly. Okay. I knew that because of the chaos thing, but... Right. Yeah, I saw Mark Leonard. I'm like, hey, but who does that for Mark Leonard other than nerds? <laughs> yeah, it was weird that part where Kerwood Smith said, Klingon bitches leave. That was yeah, weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> I just one other quick note that I was thinking about was that I thought Iman was good. Going back to very good, yeah. Going back to the title of this podcast, obviously this is where you got it from. Naturally, the the undiscovered because watching this movie, find out the undiscovered country is the future. Just a Mm. metaphor for the future, whereas the undiscovered decade, it's the past. Because we haven't, we're just going back. I threw out a couple of names from movies that were all throughout the 90s. And this was the only one we all kind of liked. So that's why it stuck. But it really ends up applying because at the time we didn't realize we were going to be doing hidden gems from the past that have kind of gone by the wayside. Oh, this is a hidden gem. Well, it definitely is within the franchise. People don't talk about this one much. Yeah. And that's why even something like, um, what did we do a couple months ago? Oh, I was thinking about Back to the Future 3. While it's beloved anyway, because it's part of the trilogy, it is the least beloved of the three. So even before we realized we were doing hidden gems, we were doing hidden gems. But he did an anniversary for the third one. They did for the second one. Right. You you know, just real quick, we've seen a lot of movies from the past about the future. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we're going to we're going to we're going to mess our brains up thinking about this stuff. We're going to end like just bring ourselves into a loop and we're just going to be like, what is time? Because like, oh God, where's he going with this? I don't know. He's getting very existential. I'm 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 circuiting right now. Guys, yeah. Like right now, if I phase out, uh, I might, I I might be, yeah, no. No. Getting a little. Oh, so. Oh man. It's it. I don't know. Like how they got Iman. Oh, you're phasing out. Oh yeah, I'm phasing out. See? Oh no, Jimmy. We got the wrong bet. We got to switch backgrounds. It was perfect casting to get Iman to play the the chameleonic shapeshifter alien because her husband is David Bowie in real life and he's it's a chameleon. kind of androgynous so he could kind of well, he's, a he's a shapeshifter he's a shapeshifter in a way mm-hmm. he's a shapeshifter in front that brothers. is so true like, yeah, yeah. So like, it's funny he's basically doing Iman in right. that in Venture Brothers they so, both played aliens because he was an alien in the man who fell to earth that's true yeah great movie yeah, who, who? Well, Christopher Plummer, of course, is the other uh, big name from this. So we already discussed how Christy, Christy uh, it's weird. Um, how well, he stands against uh, Shatner. Yeah, I didn't I mean, recognize he's literally him. a villain from the beginning. Yeah, he just looked like a white dude, like doing an Asian stereotype. Like yeah. that. Like I looked at him, and was like, he looked. Like, he looked like John Wayne from the. He looked like a Mongolian. That like you I know. Did, <laughs> I did think it was a little cringy that his makeup wasn't fully Klingon. He said he didn't want to have the full effect that like David Warner put himself through. Right. Yeah. So. But like you know the, the little side stash, you know the way that the uh, you know the Klingon outfit looks, and like he's a little squinty, and like the top knot, like it's like how do you, how do you not not look like somebody from a 1950s movie portraying Genghis Khan, but yeah. he's white, John Wayne. He did. He did look just like that. Yeah, they do look kind of Ronin esque. 
Yeah. Well, you know, John Wayne and uh and the Mongol, like what was the name of the, was the movie movie Genghis Khan? Like what yeah, was it was called the Conqueror. Yeah, yeah it was well, the Conqueror. The Conqueror. The Conqueror, yeah, yeah. Like you you look like I just got super like those super vibes off of them. So like yeah. when I was like, Oh, that's Christy Plum. Wasn't as bad as Mickey I was distracted. I'm like you gotta look past it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I sort of did. I was like, ah, this it was the nineties. What do you expect? I really like that it looks like Jimmy's trying to like gasp for air through the uh, like oh. I'm trying to talk and stay in this reality at the same time. Yeah. I'm, fa- I'm gonna I'm, save you, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm fading out the wrong part. Yeah. Honestly, this is such a good place to uh end the franchise with the original crew. Mm-hmm. I wish some of them hadn't come back for generations. We'll talk about that at a later date. Yeah, I think that might be a disgrace. I liked Generations at the time. I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. I've rewatched it recently. It's horrible. Yeah, it is terrible. It's really mainly Shatner that comes back too. Uh, uh, they come back at the beginning. Duhan comes back. Um, it's Scotty and Chekhov are in the yeah. beginning, and then yeah. he disappears. They don't. I don't think it mars them. And uh, but talk about well, people will complain about fan service now. Yeah, that movie's all fan service. It was a little off. It's also the uh, second Star Trek movie I saw because I had only seen Voyage mm-hmm. Home as a kid. And then, and then we went to see that for Christmas. I'm sorry. It was our Christmas film. <laughs> so, yeah, well, a better Christmas film came two years later with First Contact. They, yes. That's the year of the Next Generation films. Probably the pinnacle of the Next Generation movies, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything else really to talk about with uh, Star Trek. I no. just, I, I really like it. I was very surprised because I knew nothing about it somehow, even though my parents told me everything about it. The, the series they, they didn't spoil this one so uh i really like david warner i really like christopher Plummer. Uh, i'd give this an a plus honestly it's it's one of the ones i would go back to for star trek movies absolutely yeah. i would probably give this a minus i don't my favorite of the franchise are probably two and three mm-hmm. i like three a lot but um yeah this one i you know it tackles and addresses certain issues like bigotry and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it does it with uh, a those issues while also being racist. Christopher Plummer. Okay. But they also had um this this infamously <laughs> happened. Uh, Uhura was given the line, "Guess who's coming to dinner?" And she's like, "Fuck no." <laughs> I mean, who, who said that? It was Chekhov. Which is also kind of ironic because he's Russian. So if you do just the Russian metaphor rather than the African American right. metaphor. It's a little cringy. Uh, the Russian metaphor is fine, but as a uh, as a way to send off this crew, I think it. it I don't think they could have asked for a better send off. Mm. Yeah. What did you guys think? You I agree. agree. Yeah, I definitely a a plus. Like I'm just. It's it's changed my perspective on the whole franchise, at least pre Abrams. You know. I mean, uh, what more could he ask for? Yeah, I, I I'll give it a B plus, uh, mostly because like this is what racism. nice. Well, no, no, not the racism. <laughs> like there's there, there's enough there's enough allegories to counter that. I'm just gonna yeah. chalk that up to a stylistic error that was not like <laughs> wasn't taken in consideration and correcting. So like yeah, whatever. <laughs> but like uh, I'd I'd give it like the big uh, like I wouldn't give it an A simply because like this is like. Uh, this is the 90s and like this is a bit like this is a big sci-fi thing and like uh you know for for a science fiction movie uh like the con like 
like the writing and the concept behind it like it's good it's good uh but like you know you're watching a sci-fi movie you expect a little bit more like a little more sci-fi it was kind of like kind of just like it's star trek so it's like it's that level it more of like, character based like you know i'll give generations this the generations gets more into a little more of the uh the science fiction concepts like the nexus universe alternate dimensions i mean yeah no i mean there's that but like you know like there's just like um, uh i feel like you would have uh, need to it, have seen. like i think tristan like it's a trial trial movie with a sci-fi setting and yeah. like it's that's okay that's mm-hmm. fine but like that work that works perfectly if it was like part of a a, a a series. Yeah, if it was an episode. Uh, actually if, it was, I... if it was a standalone movie that just came out uh today or even back then, which is like just a random sci-fi movie with like characters we're not even attached to. Like, yeah, like conceptually, like like it like for this series, that's great. But like as a movie, like by itself, like it's just, like is like hmm. so like I, so that's why I'm giving it a, a B plus. That's why I like it because I think it works right at this time yeah. for them. But that might be because I'm a Star Trek fan and I, I discovered something I didn't realize I would like this yeah. much. I think that's it. It's a human story with aliens. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I, 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 I do agree that you need to have, like, a lot of it is lost on you if you haven't seen the previous films. Right. But, you know, it's, the, it, it's a good story on its own, but a lot, like, you know, like, I, like with the I, thing about kirk's son and with the, all of the character development that gory spoke of like we missed out on that because we jumped in on episode six right yeah but like we, we but like we grew up we go, grew up with the back back knowledge of it like i feel like the only point. the only way if you're gonna like if you were to start your own like own sci-fi like separate universe and like have like uh you know this this uh uh talk about bigotry and mistrust and war uh, the be- they did it best in like uh, the Dennis Quaid movie where uh, he gets stranded on a planet with a with an enemy. Oh, hidden enemy, enemy mine. Enemy mine. Yeah, enemy mine. That movie, like that, that did a superb job at like like because like how do how do you, how do you, how do you do it? like uh, like years of warfare and like you like in order to survive you got to like work together and like overcome this bigotry but like the build the build up of trust that it takes mm-hmm. to get through that like oh, that's intense. That's and handled like the movie, though. Yeah, like for and like that movie was like it's very sci-fi e because hmm. like you're not you're not in a like going from one spaceship to the other and like you're just basically going from one uh one scene room to the next scene room. That's what it feels like with Star Trek. It's just, sure. it's just like it's just like the backdrop is science fiction, but like it yeah. does not it's not really important to the story. Really, hmm. it's just important. It's important for the characters in this like uh um in this universe. So it's like sci-fi doesn't even have to be like front and center yeah it's just like it's in the background and that's it like that is true because science fiction usually has something that is happening to them this is just a normal story set in a science fiction universe whereas in the past we've seen science applied to the fiction so yeah what i always think about like jurassic park is a sci-fi film because they're taking dna and making dinosaurs yeah so they, they, they even, that's like, why it works so well because it's a monster movie though awesome. if you condense yeah. it down right yeah if you're if you're picking apart certain things this is just a yeah a and setting. like you could even say dress parts like they're just going sideways a little bit like you could even say dress parts technically sci-fi horror right because like it's a 
it's the horrifying concept is like what would happen you think you have control of science and nature but really it's the other way around like no matter what malcolm uh dr ian malcolm's right nature will find a way right this is why i think you'll probably like generations a bit more than i did because it goes a little more into uh science fiction dynamics and Mm -hmm. quantum physics and stuff like that you'll probably be more interested in stuff like that yeah, you might actually. Like yeah, that. I, I would. Plus Malcolm them. McDowell. I if oh, nothing else. I no, like no, no, no. Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, no, he's like, the villain. Yeah, like you, you weren't on that prime uh, sci sci-fi jam unless, like, especially if like if, like you have the uh, like have a series that you're pumping out. Like, mm-hmm. even if it's a B movie, if Malcolm McDowell's in it, like you know, like he'll make it worth it for time, sure. Time after time. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Right. David Warner and Malcolm McDowell are in back-to-back Star Trek films. <laughs> Like he's one, like again, one of those guys. Like even if it's a B movie, he will make it. He'll like he will make it worth it. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that he doesn't save the movie. Yeah, because uh, he makes a good. Well, film. <laughs> you will see. I mean, he tries. <laughs> but like when I say saves the movie, he gives it just enough credibility to make the rest of the movie tolerable. But like you like the bits that he's in. Oh, Rob Zombie's Halloween. That's how I feel. Like Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yeah, hmm. he's the only part I like about that movie. Yikes yeah because like you can enjoy uh enjoy him but like the movie like is the movie is made enjoyable because of him yeah so what else came out this month what else came out this month um steven spielberg's reimagining of peter pan oh that's oh yeah no that's you know that movie i have a very strong association with stargate because I, I rented both of those movies from the public library when I was a kid at the same time. So, like, I saw them both, and I really liked them both. Hmm. Oof. You really like Hook? Yeah, What's no, wrong I with Stargate? No, I, I've never seen Stargate, but... Um, oh. you, went, you went to both. Yeah, no, Stargate's a good it? movie. I've never seen Stargate. You're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I, I, I love the movie more than I love the TV series. Oh, yeah. Hook, if it was actually centered around the title character, I would have liked it was because Dustin Hoffman is perfect in the role. Robin yes. Williams miscast. No, and Joy Roberts as Tinkerbell annoying. You just mm. don't like Robin Williams. Or I do like Robin Williams. Williams. I like his darker period. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, but this this movie is what? But like for a for a fan, like a family kids movie, like it's it's good. It's all right. It gets yeah. the job done. Shuts the kids up for like two mm. hours. It is. A that's that's a horrible rationale for why you like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then like then you take them out and like they have fun me and, they, and hook are the best parts of the movie pinball game and like let's play the hook pinball game and let's like uh play the video game at the arcade for hook and let's like make the fat black kid roll like a weapon because that's part of the oh, game right yeah that was like remember i just oh. i just set up a lot of memories yeah so many memories do you like hook jeff and then everybody I like, didn't oh, see it yo, until I was an yo. adult. So like I was in college the first time I saw Hook. So and it's like so you don't it, have it, it wasn't bad, but it hit differently than Not seeing good. it as a kid. Yeah. Um so like it was definitely it was it hit me less as a Peter Pan story and more as an aging story. Yeah. Which is what it was meant for, as the you know, for the parents who were taking their kids to see it. Oh, and it's it's no, no, it's Goonies for adults. Right. That's why I don't like it. It's yeah. Goonies for adults. I it is. Like, look at the set design. It's I didn't. Cool. I didn't like it, but I wouldn't rewatch it. 
voluntarily. Let's yeah. just be honest. It's in the I lower. Did not spectrum. like it. Sorry. It's in the lower spectrum of Spielberg movies. Can we agree on that at least? I mean, yeah, it's, it's on, it is on the lower end, but I still appreciate it. I still like it. I'm I, like, I'm I still have my attachment. Like, I like, I like the little bits here or there where we're like, uh, where uh, like Hook and uh, what's the name Smee. of me? Smee. Smee's like, Bob sir, Hoskins. Sir. Hoskins. Like, yeah, Bob Hoskins. He's like, sir, sir, I have an apostrophe. He's like, you, you mean an, an epiphany? Yeah, those are the best scenes when it was Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins. Yeah, like, yeah. there, there were, there were, there were, it's like, there, as a whole, like, looking back, like, I, like, I haven't seen it in a while. So, like, I'm solely going, going on my attachment to it. But, like, you know, like you, get, like, you get those little moments where, like, okay, all right, this is a good, this is good, good little interaction cheeky little jokes the delivery was like okay i just think the it punch goes on a little fun. too long yeah. that's all it yeah. is it is very protracted could have been tighter they're yeah. in london like, for a good long time like, let's, let's spielberg yeah. stuff in general like yeah. watching a spielberg movie is an investment in your evening because it's You're two right. and a half hours minimum yeah schindler's list is like four hours long right that yeah but that you don't feel the length as much i don't know i don't think so i think some of the, the movies the movies that like Jeff is talking about, like the fluffier stuff, that should be tighter. Like the terminal. <laughs> well, the terminal is pretty good, but um, okay. Um, but like, I just don't mind any of these films we've talked about. It's like Minority Report. <laughs> it's, criticism. it's a character choice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Hook came out. I don't. I don't know how it's fair to. The I can't hook. believe you're not hooked on Hook. Very opinionated. Not a fan. <laughs> Never was, not even as a kid. Oh, that's fine. Um, it could be my disdain for Julia Roberts. I think it's mostly that. Um, she's distraction. She takes you out of the movie. Better movie came out called The Last Boy Scout. Shane Black script, buddy, buddy action comedy, which is part of our forte. Wait, is it about like two guys in a bad situation because they, they were in the boys? Yes, so they're going after their uh, their their uh, their uh, troop leader to uh, no, kill it's, him it's, it's, it's a crazy he, he uh, diddled them wrong when they were young and like they need they need justice and then like he needs justice because like we didn't know yet, he's you could be further off if you try. What I'm what we didn't know yet. Like, like I'm going based on my knowledge of the Boy Scouts today. I'm it has nothing to do with the Boy Scouts. Scouts. <laughs> it was around the turn of the century when we started getting those scout leaders. No, um, oh, I can, no, no, don't wait. No, no, hold up, hold up. Hold up. What oh, did you say? You had the rail the whole show. Did right you just now. say turn of the century? Yeah, twenty-one years ago. No, no, the twenty, the turn of the century was the last century. Yeah, the nineteen hundreds and the twenty into the twentieth. Not, not, not what we he just hijacked him. No, 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 no. You do not say that. <laughs> we do not that. say. What is wrong with you? I've been trying to get someone to get this upset for a while. I keep doing that to people. No one bats an eye. The like, turn of the century, twenty years ago. Like what era? Like you know, you know what like connotations that should stir up. Yeah, the cotton oh, gin came out this year. My mom used no, to say man. to her students that she'd be like. Yeah, I was born last century, and they'd be like, "Oh my God, you're old!" And she'd be like, "Yes, yeah, so were you, idiots." <laughs> like, well, yeah, that was so, so something someone was referring to. Uh, you know how their mom was born in the late 1990s or something, mm-hmm. or in the late late 1900s. Oh. Okay. God so, damn! I I had a neighbor that was like a uh, hundred hundred and um. Uh, 
what was it? She, she, she's she, like 103. We were all born oh, in the like late 1900s. Like between between like 100, 104 and 109, somewhere like that. She was like, she was up to, and like she was surprised. Fuck. And like, um, like that, like it's like, okay, if you were, if she's like, if she said I was born at the turn of the century, I would be like, yeah, no, you definitely were. And how, how are you so like, just like peppy? Like what's going on? It's like, yeah, no, I'm just in my backyard picking berries, planting it back when I was a kid. I'm like, your whole life we had none of these trees when i was a child like your whole life you've been picking berries from that tree in your backyard that's crazy yeah imagine that's spend, the turn of the century imagine spending a century in south plainfield i feel like we're spending a century talking about this south plainfield isn't even a century old it was someone yeah. something else before that okay what's what's the next one? so anyway oh god there's more <laughs> yes yeah i interjected i'm sorry can we keep this in? Um, like Bugsy, the Warren Beatty epic. Oh, Bugsy. About Bug, yeah. Uh, Bugsy this, Siegel. About this movie gonna who, helped, who, who helped uh, create what we know as Las Vegas. Oh. oh. I bet you didn't know that backstory about it, did you? No. If you had seen Bugsy, 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 Bugsy Malone? Yes, yeah. what this is about. Oh, Bugsy Malone? Yeah. I know my, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with my gangster history. Yeah, so it's actually a it's actually a, a glossy, very uh, sophisticated, um, different kind of role for uh, Warren Beatty. I mean, obviously he's a uh, he's very slick and suave and handsome and debonair, but um, you get to see kind of the, uh, the the seedier side of Warren Beatty in this. And this is the movie where he met Annette Bening. Yeah, so started that whole relationship. Really good movie. Been going on for thirty years. Yeah. Uh, great movie worth checking out. Um, who remake. The, um, who was the character that um, uh, I lost his name? Ben Kingsley. Yeah, Ben. But who's Ben Kingsley playing? Meyer Lansky. Yeah. Oh, See, I knew you'd like that. Oh, yeah. that's Ben. Ben well, Billy. He got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah, that's interesting. I got okay. I got to see this. Yeah, because mm-hmm. like. Yeah, I was trying but to present ben to you <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to show it to you without you realizing. So you so, get like, a surprise during the film. Yeah, I mean, you know, directed by Barry Levinson. So. I'm still, I'm still gonna be, I'm still probably We're still gonna, gonna be impressed with surprise. I think you'll it. like it. We'll try to watch it before like, the best uh, time so we can include it. You know, yeah, like, it like, like this, this is one. This is one they're building up and developing. Uh, Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, okay. This is this is gonna be a fun part of this. Yeah, you're gonna like that because like uh, this is this is this is after after we lost Cuba. Mm-hmm. Right, like okay, we're going to Vegas. Oh yeah, all that, all that. Uh, like, uh, I don't know. Like, in there. This is like around the time when, like, uh, also like uh, a couple times, Myers Myers Lansky was like brought to like a uh, trial at like DC or some shit like that. Yep. And like they were like, so you're getting involved in gambling, blah blah blah, yada yada. Like, uh, are you up to criminal activity? It's like no, no, like I mean he is, but like you know he's he's on point. So, this man. It's like, it's like Billy but like, but then like uh, he gets yeah. no no but the thing is like a very like for like historical thing so uh myers lansky is just sitting there and it's like it's like and one of the uh, uh senators or whatever the representative got him on this trial he's just like Myers lansky he turns is like uh representative or judge or who i don't again don't remember some some square he was like but sir i i've seen you at the uh uh like the horse track so i know you like to gamble like it was like, but like the guy responded back it was like but like 
I don't want to see like you guys doing it. And like Myers Lansky, like however that guy meant it, he probably meant like you criminals, but like how he took it, it was like, oh no, you meant us Jews and us Italians, us people that like, you know, came and got stuck in the streets and like, you know, we got smart and like, you want to, yeah. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I get. I get. You're I get, gonna like. You're gonna like Ben Kingsley. I. I get. I get really. I get just. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This movie's up Jimmy's alley. So. Right up my alley. Uh, this movie. This next it. movie might not be up his alley, but um, it's a sweet, good-natured film. A remake. Uh, Father of the Bride with Steve Martin. Oh. Oh. Classic film. Mm. You think everyone so? Already, everyone our age always loves it that I talk to if I bring it up. Oh, I don't. Yeah. You know, oh wow. Know, right. I think it's boring. Really? Yeah, I really think really? it's boring. I, I, like, I've never seen it. Because, like, my, my family... It's like, that transition period between when Steve Martin was the wild and crazy guy, mm-hmm. and now he's trying to do a little more, like, serial comic stuff. Yeah. Well, he's in his, like, uh, his, like, his later, his pre-retirement phase. So, like, he's, like, uh, going to the... Uh, going into his, like, what, 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 what niche roles can he get into that, like, will be easy for him to... Uh, do yeah, and like and he's old enough he can't do like physical comedy so he's doing this like, yeah like simple twist of fate leap of faith stuff like that yeah i mean we loved him in what what did we do earlier this year the um la story la story oh well the la story if we had more stuff like that uh growing up in the gonna, night, pretty good yeah uh by the time we get the bowfinger it's kind of a return to his glory days stuff like that true yeah. i mean you can kind of get those vibes with like you know uh animaniacs and like freakazoid just a little bit but like it's the cartoon so they get zany with it yeah and like interesting they they, they do inject a little bit more like like a little bit more sophisticated and adult humor in those cartoons but like just enough to be like to just get by and also again this is this is the uh freakazoid is going to be really really zany because apparently steve martin in real life is very urbane wit Mm-hmm. he's like an art connoisseur this is more like steve martin in real life whereas what the audience members want is what you, you what you just did mugging and a lot of physical comedy so i guess he's more comfortable doing these types of roles and he's trying to transition into that so this is yeah. well he he kind of wanted to do the short thing and i think martin short would have been better as like the father but i think maybe martin short wasn't getting the box office draw per se so they wanted someone that people would like more i don't know random thought like this i'm just going a a little bit further down the years like um martin short was in jungle the jungle who's the main like tim Tim allen okay all right okay for some reason like you said martin short and i just jumped up ahead like like he like he played like he started playing dads more often in the uh in the 90s too yeah well he's the uh hairdresser and father of the bride yes he is yeah yeah. so so he's zany which and they're friends in real life so. Yeah, well, it's it's he lets him do his thing in there, but if imagine the parts were switched, imagine Steve Martin's there. I mean, Mar- uh, Martin Short was the straight man in Captain Ron. Yeah, but did that do well? No, nobody really cared for it, and everybody. Yeah. Uh, if it is remembered, it's remembered for uh, Kurt Russell more than anything else. Right. So I think people putting them into their boxes. Steve Martin was the guy you wanted to be the father, and Martin Short was the zany, wacky character that pops in once. Yeah. Right. So I think people underrated martin short's talents because he liked to have a rubber face right and, um, well i don't know well i feel like a uh, martin short like also like considering how like he's underrated 
uh like when the lead is like the zany one he's like the uh, straight face one. right or, or if the lead's the straight face one he's the zany one like he, right. he can he can go back and forth because like like how how i just brought up uh jungle, jungle, jungle. jungle. Like, jungle. like tim yeah. allen like he, he can be silly and goofy but like he's a little more stern and serious <laughs> like he's like like he's got blue collar dad vibes even though he was a white collar job in that movie but like you know wolf of wall street type deal so like mm-hmm. he played that kind of that kind of dad to whatever and then like uh mark short was like he's just like he was the silly bumbling kind of dad almost right mm-hmm. or am i like i gotta watch that movie again. Yeah, you got it it's been a while. Yeah, we'll we'll be talking about it later in the years oh yeah we're gonna okay yeah well, it opens up against howard stern's private parts i remember yeah. oh, oh which one are we gonna talk about it's funny um, like i seen that movie once and i was like 11 private Plus. parts private parts yeah oh boy. nice oh, i can't oh can we make that the main feature yeah probably it's a Corey thing. I love it. Sorry, Jeff. Hey, Jeff, you'll hear me talk passionately about another movie then. I don't know nothing. So probably the movie that got Oliver Stone the reputation for being conspiracy theorist, JFK, came out. Yeah, which we also tried to watch and never got to. Three hour and a half hours long? Yeah. It depends on the cut you watch, I guess. The director's cut's that long. That's what I have then, I guess. It's a... It's a great movie. Honestly, it's and you know what his theories aren't that far fetched because there's so many, there's so many discrepant uh, theories and statements on what could have happened during the assassination. They don't give validity to just one mm-hmm. with the Warren Commission, but they go they go into a lot of different ones. And oh boy, in terms of like ensemble cast, this is amazing. You got Kevin Costner, <clears throat> Joe Pesci shows up as Jack Ruby. Um, you got uh, Frank Langella. You got a but you got a, a whole slew of character actors. Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Bacon. Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, who else is there? It's- I think Gary Oldman's in it. Yeah, Gary Oldman. Yeah. Um, so I was gonna ask, do you think do you think there was a second shooter? See, because I've been in uh, Daily Plaza and I've seen uh, from the vantage point of the uh, book depository it's not that far-fetched that he could have got off sec- two shots yeah they're not that far from each other right where yeah, they, also like where the, he was a marine, caravan would have been i know how to cycle a bolt action rifle mm-hmm. but the trajectory of the bullet is why it makes me question it a oh lot. There, there's a reason for that they, they don't go oh god we're not getting into this are we conspiracy Okay, the thing is the trajectory of the bullet is like whenever like, you know, the conspiracy theorists analyze the model of the car, they're analyzing the model of the car with the information they have as available at the time. They didn't know that the, that car, that specific car that Kennedy was in, uh, they identified the model correctly, but they didn't know if the car, car was customized on the inside. Things were like changed up. Like, uh, so like uh, when Kennedy's in the, uh, the back of the longest vehicle, other uh, movie segment ever. Like he, he's a... Uh, he's like slightly more elevated than he is. So like when they're like trying to calculate for like the angle of the trajectory, they're plugging in the wrong numbers. They're doing it here rather than here. Yeah. And like, uh, and like, uh, they're calculating like the tra- trajectories of like, uh, again, based on like how Kennedy got hit and how the governor of Texas in front of him and the seat in front of him got hit. Cause like, I think what it was like, oh, like yeah. Kennedy was slightly, slightly higher because he was on the back of the car and the, gover- the and the governor was actually slightly lower than what like uh like the measurements were off because like they were like extended 
and that's where the thing was like and then finally <laughs> no, yeah. no just finally. I knew what i was doing by you, myself. you know then finally like like when kenny gets shot with the uh bullet from the italian Procano, which shoots a smaller <clears throat> bullet than a regular rifle round pops out tumbles goes in the seat in front of him tumbles again and comes out the uh governor. well it doesn't even come out the governor it goes right into him oh, okay. like it just it's like hey i'm gonna stay in was, here was this was, funny. was this at a point where they started like i mean it was it was custom but like was this at a point where jeff you need they to started making no i'm, I'm serious because you look at the, the presidential vehicles are all bulletproof now was that something that like I mean, if the if the hood was up, then yeah. No, well, yeah. <laughs> you want to get to your signal, but like the hood was down, right? Like you would have like bounced off. It of was the... bulletproof, but not with the hood down. No, but I mean that like it would have bounced off of the inside of the. What the fuck are we talking about? Let's keep going. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Grand Canyon. So give oh. me a conspiracy theory about that. Speaking of, oh yeah, no aliens. <laughs> they car, they car, at one point they, they fly. It has nothing to do with the actual Grand Canyon. Oh, the, that's misleading. Yeah, I know. that's the conspiracy. <laughs> so this is another Steve Martin movie with um. What? Uh, yes. Kevin Klein. What is he doing? He's doing it's great. supposed to be about uh, the meaning of life and what it all means, and it's. Yeah. it's well, didn't he do that with the L.A. story? It's complete yeah. drivel. It's one of the worst things Lawrence Kasdan's ever done. It's horrible. It's my least favorite Steve Martin film. I hate it. It's it's I don't hate it as bad as Corey does, but it's basically Kevin Klein gets uh his he gets car, mugged. Yeah, he gets mugged because his car breaks down in uh South Central LA. It's like Crash after a Lakers game, oh. and it's basically Crash before Crash came out. So and privileged so, white boy gets right <laughs> exactly. So he tries to figure out what the meaning of life is because which crash, the ra- oh, which, so like, which crash the racism on one or the one where James Spader has sex with a car? He just goes and does. <laughs> yes, that. that's Titan. No, crash the one with Brendan Fraser. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if people are going to get that reference. It's just for us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin Klein's in it, though, yeah. and I thought I would like it because Kevin Klein and Steve Martin are in it. Yeah, because you think Robert. it's going to be like a successor to the Big Chill, and it's... Right. It's mm. very much... It, he's trying to get the feel of the Big Chill, but it's a touchy subject to center your film around. It's too abstract. It's like, what what is the meaning of life? Why, why do we have these barriers between each other? And Steve Martin plays his best friend and his subplot doesn't matter. It's just a lot of self-congratulatory. Isn't he just divorcing his wife and that's his whole thing? Yeah. He's a movie producer. Yeah. I, I think, I think Which I feel like Kasdan is making Martin. I mean, you, you could, you could consider like that, this whole, like whole meaning of life and not delivering it very well. I thought this was a good example. Might be an early, early, like early stage in like American consciousness, like trying to interpret that information in the 90s. Like we're we're this like highly prosperous, uh, materialistic country. We just won the Cold War. What's the meaning of life? Who are we going to? It's a very narcissistic movie without. Yeah, I think as as crappy as the movie is, but like how it turned out, like it just kind of reflects what like a society is at at the time, really. Like consider it. People, and then, you know, you might be right. It's a very but then like you jump ahead a few uh, years later and then you get fight club, and then like I think that's the time when somebody like it finally clicks, like, okay, this is what's wrong with our generation. Like it took a, it took somebody to write a book and somebody to be like to read that book and then like, hey, let's make a movie about this well, and for it to like fully like come into like the American like 
consciousness. That's what this whole decade is kind of about because the early 90s are you beat the Cold War, but by the end of the 90s, you're like, did we really beat anything? Uh, we didn't succeed over the past eight years. I mean, it's, it's also where you get the nihilism from like, you know, grunge. Yeah. It's, um, it's just like waspy navel gazing the movie. Oh, that's yeah, that's Grand Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a yuppie nightmare where it's like, oh, you know what? Oh, yeah. Black people, they have the same problems as white people. Isn't that crazy? No, and this is after Boys and Crew. Yeah, <laughs> awful. Uh, well, I mean, like, also, uh, I guess like the '90s, there was a, lo- a lot more yuppie, preppy content. Like you saw, like your yeah. your heroes or dads or whatever. Like they very obviously came from like the yuppie preppy background. Yeah, yeah. cocaine's gone. Yeah, yeah, the cocaine's gone. But like you know, they got that like they got like. Yeah, like, they're baby boomers. They're you, baby boomers. you see their job titles, like they, or like you see in the background of like in their office or on their car, like that, like little uh, uh college uh bumper sticker or thing. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, all right. You're not a relatable character. All right, we'll move on. We'll just wait for the jokes to come in. Yeah. Um, Barbara Streisand directed a movie this month, Prince of Tides. Oh, I've heard this is good, but I have yeah, noticed it that. is good. Uh, I haven't seen it in years. Um, she plays a psychiatrist, and one of her patients is a Nick Nolte who has all these repressed um, emotions about being molested as a child. Okay. He has a weirdly enough, he has a gay neighbor played by George Carlin. Really? Yeah. Listen, I got to see the movie because, like, it's, good. it's called Prince of Tides. Nick Nolte and matter George of fact, Carlin? I'm going to give a plug. Not that we're going to get any endorsements from this. Criterion's having a sale this month, and Prince of Tides is one of the Criterion collections. So. Really? They're on Criterion now? Yep. Huh. But it's a good movie. Uh, she's actually a pretty good director, kind of underrated. Yeah, yeah, I always liked her direction. I never really necessarily cared for her acting, I guess. Okay, fair enough. I, th- I think people love her, and I'm just like, she's good. I, I just didn't love her. So. It's, a, it's a great... It's a great uh, showcase yeah. for Nick Nolte. People get really attached to very specific roles and just fall yeah. in love with like actors and actresses. Yeah. And no matter it's what, kind of like Jodie Foster in that respect. Yeah. The female director, yeah. I think, doesn't get the credit that she deserves. Like a lot of female directors now are heralded, like Catherine Bigelow, Patty Jenkins. But there was a whole generation before that. Yeah. Look yeah. at female directors that nobody. Barbara Streisand, the first woman to win a Golden Globe. I think she tied. Oh, was she okay? I think she tied with someone. Maybe she tied as an actress for Hello Dolly. There's something in there where she was one of the first. Gentle, maybe. Maybe Maybe she's the first nominee for Oscar. Mm. Funny girl. Yeah, I forget. There's something in there. She was a trailblazer either way. Yeah. Um, a very schmaltzy uh chick flick came out this month. Fried green tomatoes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy Bates. It's um. It's 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 a movie for the the uh, the estrogenic sect of your life, you know. I don't know if any many men would go see this unless they're fans of like Divine Secrets of the Yaya yeah, yeah, Sisterhood. That'd be that movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that brings us to Poster Boy. Oh, Poster Boy. He wasn't even prepared. Or like Post It Boy. Well, I thought you had one more before. I I no. shouldn't have taken a sip. All right, my sip. All right, Jeff. Oh, yeah. and it's good because i literally just watched this movie before the podcast so this is the this is the last chance you have to get above 500 for the for the year i'm sure so your batting averages i have no idea i haven't done the tallying yet we'll do that in the best stuff he tricked us on the best of last time i know he's like i tallied it up 
Lay it on me. All right, so this was last month. It's just because they were next to each other. So here. Wait, wait, that was a month ago we recorded that. Why is that there? That's why I, I literally just said this is last month. I just left it up. Yeah, we recorded it a month ago. All right. Oh, I wish you blurred something out. What do you okay. mean? Okay. Oh, the, the, from the director? Yeah. That's okay. All right. I wanted to because last month, the one we recorded a full month ago, uh had the from the director of a nightmare in elm street this is a, in a similar vein i don't think you'll necessarily know what this is based on his filmography but no <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to take a gamble and see if he would because this was i think you would know less see this all right so <laughs> the poster is a nice little frame that looks like there's uh actually it's like flowers and millipedes going around the frame um and in the the center of the portrait it's it's sort of like a um oh my god what's that that artist with the with the apple magritte face magritte it's like a magritte painting but it's just like it's a hat and a typewriter as the guy's face but the typewriter is all lopsided um dude has a wedding band on so clearly it's a there's some sort of marriage oh, wow. story involved. I didn't even pick up on that, but that's good. That's good. This and is the, all just perfect. For this. And the yeah. got a watch. He's got a wedding band, and he's trying to type his face, mm-hmm. but it's not. Oh yeah, not he working out. Type the Q. He's hitting the Q. Oh God, it's the origin of wow. Q. Um, Star Trek. The aliens are Q the winged serpent. Right. <laughs> it's literally yeah. He's pressing the Q button looking at this i kind of noticed like the the gap where the the bars for typing it kind of looks like a singular eye like he's a cyclops well bet that's just yeah, how like, it, how a typewriter like look. where the um yeah because where, where all the letters skew up at the top yeah interesting yeah. so all right from the director of dead ringers and the fly so i'm gonna guess this is a cronenberg film yeah i do okay. uh Past that, I don't know. This is some sort of like secret window writer's block type movie. Um, guys, he's, trying, about writers. he's trying to figure himself out. His wife's about to leave him. He can't write for shit. And obviously, because it's David Cronenberg, he's going to have some sort of body horror. After right about that. As he's trying to figure this out, he does he he physically turns into a typewriter. I like like he becomes the one thing that he can't control, which is his writing. I'm thinking the the weird leaflet design around the frame has to deal with like this guy gets infected by bugs or something. Oh wait a minute, is this is this the metamorphosis? No, no, damn it! All right, I was. No, that's why I was hoping maybe you might think that actually. Yeah. A what? Um. Because you might not get up in the movie though. This film. They bring up Kafka um, in the movie. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Again, like every poster boy, I don't know what actually happens. Oh, you don't? I never do. I should look up the plot before I, I try to get Jeff. I think there was one or two movies that you. you, the, you know, one, yeah. There were two that, okay. like, don't tell the mom the babysitter's dead. I knew. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is Suburban this uh, Commander. The, I kind of knew. The writer, as opposed to Zarida. No. No? Okay. 
sort of married to this gig that he's in, right? Like, you know, he's got, like, we very clearly hey. see the wedding ring. But, like, you Can know, Jeff but not married to the like, job. The way, the way that his necklace or his shirt or something underneath, just like, you know. No, that's a necktie. It's, it's, it's connecting the, the, the visual uh, line where the eye should travel from the ring to the typewriter, con- bonding the two. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I don't think you're gonna. I, well, it's framed like a piece of artwork. Like, or wait, wait, wait. Like, maybe we're like, framing this. Like maybe we're reticent. framing this the wrong way. Maybe he's hitting himself in the face with the typewriter. Yeah. Because he just can't. So he's he beca- can't he's get through this anymore. So you sort of already got the um, the plot you might have done, and uh, you know, want to give me one more uh, title before I give you a tagline? Uh, I think I, I think I do a tagline. I don't know if it's just two. He might know this writer actually. I might give you the. You might know the novelist that the writers. I actually don't remember what comes next when I hit the next button. Oh, interesting. So. Oh, weird. Oh, it's a tagline. Oh, okay. All right. So, why don't you guess one more title? And we'll see if uh, the tagline helps. Keystroke. Keystroke. Right. I don't know. That's yeah, a good just like yeah. deadline. It's never going to give you. He's like tagline. about to finish his great American novel, and then he just has a stroke. Typo. <laughs> typo. Typo. Yeah. All right. Here is the his tagline. blood is typo. <laughs> Exterminate all rational thought. Okay, so he's got to do. It's, it's bugs. There's bugs. Is this Bugsy? This is not Bugsy. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, we tricked you. This <laughs> literal bugs. Um, exterminate all rational thought. Okay. Oh, Karl Marx. The exterminator. <laughs> not the case. Hang on. I don't think there's anything else I can give you. Eraser head. <laughs> it is kind of Lynchian in a way. Uh. Spooky typewriter, the movie. All right, no, hang on. I got it. 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 Um, Quirty. I don't know. (laughs) All right, here we go. All right, (laughs) naked lunch. That nothing to do with. They never bring up the title. God, I have ever gotten it from the David Cronenberg and William S. Not not. Maybe buy you to lunch. Yeah, I mean William S. Burroughs wrote Naked Lunch, so yeah, that's the only reason you would get it. I thought maybe he would know the uh, novelist William S. Burroughs. Maybe that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what is this actually about? Corey? Oh, because is this weirdly autobiographical in a way? Oh, because um, do you know anything about William S. Burroughs? Actually, I did read that he uh, accidentally killed his wife. Recently. He did accidentally kill his wife. It's depicted in the movie. They're playing yeah. a game of William Tell. Mm, she, puts why? A glass, I don't know. she puts a glass on top of her head and he accidentally shoots her in the middle of the forehead. Um. Yeah. What, what happened was, I believe he says he doesn't have any recollection of what happened that night, but later felt regret. Yeah, he's in a fugue state, apparently. Because yeah. they were all drunk out of their minds. Sure. Perfect. Uh, so I guess first it, but it, the morbid thing is, in a quote, he said, if I hadn't killed my wife, I don't know if I'd have became a writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is uh, 
Peter Weller is his stand in, in the movie and he plays like a, a writer who's struggling and to get by, he uh, is a bug exterminator. But ah. him and his wife, played by Judy Davis, are getting high on the bug powder that they uh -huh. use. So I guess he gets so addicted to the bug powder that he starts to have hallucinations of this kind of Saudi Arabia-esque dimension called the Interzone, where these interlopers are trying to come in. These bug-like interlopers are trying to invade our dimension. Okay. It's... Uh, yeah, kind of. Although that had more of a streamlined plot. This is almost indecipherable. <laughs> okay. Um, the creature designs are fun. I didn't really... At a certain point, Peter Weller's deadpan delivery just became kind of grating. Mm. I needed something tangible to grasp onto emotionally in the movie, and it, there just wasn't any. Mm. There wasn't any port way for me to get into the movie. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminded me of. Uh, you ever seen Videodrome? No. It's just a lot of grotesque images, and he's trying to make a statement about television and our addiction to it. I'm just like. This movie's just repulsive. I know he's trying to make a point about it, but the plot's not strong enough for me to care. Uh, hmm. I mean, you could probably make a movie about that today with internet, with the internet. Well, I was gonna say the two movies that are on the on the poster, Dead Ringers and The Flyer, way better than this. Movie. That's sort of what he does with existence too. It's like your relationship to. Yeah, I didn't care for that either. So I only like it because Jude Law's in it. It's weird that Cronenberg's one of those one of those directors where he either does a masterpiece or he does a. Disaster is there's no yeah. a masterpiece or a disaster piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the disaster artist. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, to wrap things up, I was gonna present to you. Obviously, we have a cast full of uh, famous actors, though most of them really only are known for Star Trek. So, I'm gonna pivot towards the uh, main guest in the film, Christopher Plummer. What was your favorite? Christopher Plummer film. He passed away earlier this year. You're so going to say Beginners. I know this you. This can be our, uh, our our homage to... Kristen's picking Beginners. I know. Oh, we'll see. Knives Out. Filmography. Oh, yeah. Knives Out. Knives Out. Well, no, well, Knives Out was a good movie. That was a good send-off for him. Yeah. But I feel like that's more of a... Uh, uh, um, uh, wow. Uh, dude that played like James you, Bond. I think feel like that's his movie. I feel like you, Daniel Craig. I yeah, feel like you, all, you. you already used Knives Out for um, Don Johnson. Oh, so we can't reuse movies that we've used previously? Technically, Is that you a can. rule? Oh, you can, but I'm just pointing out like you did it four episodes ago. I got a good one. Nicholas Nickleby. Oh, yeah. He's the villain, he's the uncle. And who can forget all the money in the world? <laughs> Yeah, he's good in that. <laughs> what did you say, uh, Jimmy? Oh, I didn't say anything because no, I like I need to look at the list. <laughs> he's gonna look it up. It was like he's in a lot. I know what you're gonna pick. You're gonna pick Cracker Jack. Like, I'm going with beginners. I knew it. Skyrim. Oh, was <laughs> in the girl with the dragon tattoo. I forgot. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's good. That's that. good. Right. Uh. Oh, God, he played Charles Muntz in Up. Yes, he did. Both characters from Up died this year. Well, not the kid. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old men died. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Actually, wait, can I change my vote? Sure. The Insider. Oh, perfect. I knew you might do that one. Yeah. 
Yeah, Nicholas Nickleby threw me off. So, wait, um, you were in Twelve Monkeys? Yes. Holy shit! Great man. movie too. Yeah, he's the uh, administrator. There's a couple I could have chosen here. Yeah. He's in Beautiful could've, Mind. Could have picked Syriana yeah, no, too. Which one? Syriana. Oh, Syriana. Yeah. I. Well, oh, he's wow. good, Matt. <laughs> it's been a while. Since, like it's been a while since I've seen Malcolm X, but like he's in Malcolm X. He's in Malcolm X. Sure. Oh. He yeah. was the narrator in the Madeline Lost in Paris. Wait, oh my God. Yeah, he's in Rockadoodle Doo and an American Tale. Oh, wait, there, you know what's funny? We say Rockadoodle Doo. There's no dude. He was in Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle. Oh, no. oh, yeah. You just threw me off there. Yeah, yeah right? Like, Don't bring up that movie. <laughs> this, is, this is great that I'm going through the list because I'm just listening off things that, like, you know, paper. Like, There's a film in there that I had never heard of that I'm kind of interested in The Royal Hunt of the Sun. It's about Pizarro and taking over the Incas. Oh, interesting. It was apparently he had done it as a play. He played Pizarro in the play, but then played the Aztec, or I guess it's the Aztecs. Yeah. Uh, He's so glad nobody picks down the music. He's in an American tale. Oh, right. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm just like, I'm just. God, he's been in everything. Jesus. He started. He's like Tim Curry. Yeah. Well, Um, (laughs) he was half of the classic films of today. Yeah. Like, what the hell? But yeah, no, my we're gonna vote for him for the Edgar. But on on the sound of music, I just I can't stand that movie. No, it's a because because the first time the first time I ever saw the play was I was violently ill that night. So I just have this like that's how the movie didn't cause that. I can't (laughs) listen to anything from the sound of music without being violently ill. He was Cyrano. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and just pick out like Mm, damn all right there's like movies in the in the, in the 1960s that like i'm pretty sure i've seen but i haven't silent seen partner is pretty damn good so like mm-hmm. i'm gonna uh i'm gonna it's gonna be a toss-up between battle of britain and waterloo battle britain's a great film yeah no like so well, where are we gonna go with obviously i have beginners insider insider what do you think jeff uh knives out Okay, stick with knives out and knives Battle of Britain and Waterloo toss up. We'll, we'll we'll keep Battle of Britain. Yeah, Battle of Britain. But like, what the? Cool. Okay. He had a he, he had a long um eclectic career. He has 182 credits. Yeah. Didn't get his Oscar nomination until 2009 for The Last Station. One two years later for Beginners. Mm-hmm. And then got one last one for uh, All the Money in the World. Right. So. Which that, was originally going to be him. That and cleanup. So. Rest in peace, Chrissy Plums. <laughs> DP. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe, uh, like our posts on YouTube or iTunes. Uh, I saw a couple of uh, star ratings on there recently. So I'm very happy people are at least doing that, even if you're not commenting. I want to hear from you. I want to know if you have any ideas for what we should watch in 92, because we're about to pick that when we when we do our best of next month we're gonna uh decide what we'll be doing for 1992 so if you have any ideas you can comment in this one and uh then we'll be able to pick something out so uh hopefully you have a good christmas yeah this is it for the year because the best of will come out january 7th i think somewhere in the first week of january so hopefully you have a good rest of your 19 well 2021 yeah for us it'll be 1990. Yeah, we're stuck in the past. Yeah, we're stuck in the past. With the undiscovered decade. Yeah, we're, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Fire. Mm-hmm.